Today, if you're a little bit behind on saving for the future, we are going to tell you exactly what you need to do to catch up. This is the Seven Figures Podcast, smart money strategies for women with Sandy Waters. Seven Figures is sponsored by Family First Credit Union. When it comes to financial education, earning and learning go hand in hand. And Family First is here to help you and the greater Rochester community with both. All right. It is the year of financial wellness. We have coined it the year of financial wellness. So every month, our dear friend, Erica Cummings, VP at Morgan Stanley, CFP. I got to make sure I say CFP because we're going to get to the reason why that is so important uh, later on in this episode. But Erica, thank you so much for being here with us again. Thank you for having me again. All right. Since January, every month, we're focusing on a different part of our finances, our personal finances. So you give us homework every month. Mm -hmm. And I think we've been doing good, right? Um, This really applies to everybody. But specifically, we like to focus the conversation to women because we are the ones that are not as engaged with our finances, right? And you say studies show it. It's not something we're making up. No, not at all. And and the reason we're doing this is because we as women, and I think I've mentioned this several times, 80 to 90% of us will be responsible for our finances by ourselves at one point in time in our life, whether by choice or by circumstance. And so it's not just whether or not you want to, you're going to have to at some point. And so we just want to make sure that every woman out there is doing their very best to become educated and knowledgeable about their own situation so that they can make the best decisions for themselves and their families. You know, and it's fascinating. Last week, Jean Chatsky was on with us from the Today Show. And she has her money podcast in in media company. But she had mentioned that, I can't remember what year she said, but at a certain point in time, women will have the bulk of the money because we outlive our husbands, our, you know, our fathers will pass and pass down the money. So we need to know how to manage it, what to do with it. Yeah. So what's exciting is that, by 2030, I believe. Okay, is that the year? Okay. It, we will be in charge of about two-thirds of America's wealth okay. as women. So that's exciting. I mean, that puts a lot of decisions in our court and hopefully over the years we'll make sure that corporations and corporate America as a whole start to focus on making sure that we are engaged and that we are being taken care of because we'll be the ones making those decisions. What we want to make sure is that we're making the right decisions yeah. and that when it's time for us to take over the reins, that we don't feel insecure about it, that we're not scared and we're not in a position to be taken advantage of. Yeah, and that's, and that's, the big that's a big thing. one. Yeah. That's a big one that we, when you come across as somebody who is desperately in need of help, unfortunately, there are mm-hmm. people out there that will prey on that. So part of the focus here is to make sure that you can make the, like I said, the best, most educated decisions for yourself and your future. And each month we we digest it in small chunks. So yes. it's, it's easier to understand. It doesn't feel overwhelming because when you talk about finances, it just, it almost takes your breath away. Like, oh God, I don't know. There's so much involved. Yes. So this month, the focus is it's not too late because I'm sure a lot of women you know, maybe in their late 30s, 40s, 50s are like, oh, well, I didn't even start saving at this point. So I'm I'm behind the eight ball. It's too late to even start. Yeah. And you would say, well, you know, it's interesting because that concept is almost ridiculous because 
we know we're going to have to take care of ourselves yeah. without work at some point in time. It is the absolute perfect example of burying your head in the sand. And there's nothing worse than putting it off because you're afraid to confront it. Because yeah. we have to face the fact that at some point in time we will not be able to work. I have had so many people say, I'm just not gonna, I'm just not gonna retire. That's a lovely thought. <laughs> but somebody else might make that choice for you. So yeah. uh, people don't realize, you know, when we're in our 40s, we feel pretty good most days. Yeah. Some days maybe a little stiffer than others. <laughs> How you doing uh, today? I'm yeah, good. I'm yeah, I think so. My knees seem all right right now. <laughs> um, but, you know, as time goes on, we just don't know what life is going to throw our way. And whether it's illness or if you're in a more physical job, nursing, where you have to be on your feet all the time. Knees go out and backs start to hurt, and you're just not able to effectively do your job as best as you did yeah. 10, 20, 30 years ago. And even if you will muscle through it, perhaps your employer might say, you know what, now's the time for us to bring on somebody a little bit younger or somebody who's willing to maybe take less compensation or somebody who can put in more hours. So at some point in time, we have to be realistic about the fact that we can't work forever. So it's not too late. So wherever you are. It is never too late yeah. because we don't have a choice. So yeah. even I, I want to make this as uplifting and as encouraging as possible. But I also want to be really serious about the fact that if your two options are to save as much as you can or not save at all, you can't go with option two. So mm. we, on average spend about $45,000 a year post age 65 in retirement. 45,000 a year. Okay. And the average social security annual compensation is just under 16,000. Oh, fantastic. So, massive oh, shortfall. That's a nice gap. Massive shortfall between the two. And on top of it, over the last X amount of decades, we've seen less and less pension funds being offered as retirement options. So pensions where the company gives you a defined benefit, a defined amount of money every single month for the rest of you and possibly your spouse's life. And that was a huge a, a huge part that would close that gap. And we're seeing less and less of that, especially in the private sector. So more and more of the ownership is going to fall on mm-hmm. us. And Obviously, each family makes their own decisions. So lots of times that means you may be relying on your children or there may be cohabitation happening where you move in with your kids. But we want to make sure that that's a decision that the family makes because they want to, not necessarily because you don't have a because choice. Because you have to. Okay. Exactly. So, well, that's a good gauge, an average dollar amount that we can set as a goal. You're yes. Okay. So now if we are at a point where we're like, listen, we're not, we don't have a lot saved up. Yeah. What do we do? We're, you know, in our forties, where do we even start? How do we start building this wealth? So first of all, I want you all to know that you're not alone. So we're going to talk about this in general terms okay. and then we'll talk about it specifically to women. So in general, one out of four Americans do not have anything saved for their retirement. That's pretty significant. of the population that is currently working does not have anything saved for retirement. And one-third of the population has less than $5,000 in savings for retirement. So I don't know how you want to take that. If you're sitting at home right now saying, okay, well, I think I fall into one of those categories, know that you're not alone Mm -hmm. because that's a really scary feeling 
when you when you are at a point where you really are so scared and almost embarrassed that you can't even communicate where you are. And oftentimes when when especially women are in that position, then we just clam up. And then we bury our head right. in the we sand. We bury our head yeah. in the sand, we clam up and we don't talk about it. Just know that there's probably a good chance that you know somebody in your circle, whether it be a family member, mm-hmm. somebody you work with, or one of your friends, that is not far off from where you are. And so I don't want people to feel alone. That's that's first and foremost. And this is not just a female thing. There are lots of men out there that aren't saving for retirement either. So one-fourth of the population does not mean just women. But I want the women that are listening to understand that we do have a disadvantage. So unfortunately, there are certain things that we as women have to deal with that makes saving for retirement even that much more difficult, or it puts even more responsibility on us than it necessarily does for men. Mm -hmm. So number one, we live longer. Yes. Okay. I always joke that men have managed to figure out a lot, but they haven't managed to figure out how to live longer than (laughs) us. So it's simple math. If you retire at 65 and you're living until 90, you have to make sure that you can cover 25 years. If your husband's most likely only going to live till 85 or 86, granted, it's not a huge difference, but it's still a few extra years that we need to be um, prepared for. And you add on to that the fact that possibly your husband is older than you. You could be widowed for a pretty decent amount of time. So that is definitely one of the things that I focus on most is that the plan really needs to be geared towards the woman. Because she's most likely going to be alone at some point in time. So that's the first thing. We live longer. Okay. When your spouse passes, do you pick which Social Security you take? Or does theirs, I don't want to say die off with them, but die off with them? So it's not necessarily a pick. It's, It's a given that the largest Social Security payment is the one that is retained by whichever surviving spouse. So there's only one, though, that you can claim. Right. So basically, let's say you were receiving 1000 a month and your husband was receiving 2000 a month. That $1,000 difference is what we would call the survivor benefit. Okay. So you would then have your own benefit plus that additional difference between the two. But if before you were receiving 3000 a month between the two, you'll only be receiving 2000 a month. Mm, okay. Some of the way that we do planning is we do take into account that expenses will go down when there's only one surviving spouse. Certain things aren't going to change. Property taxes are going to stay the same whether one of you is alive or two. But health insurance will go down. Typically, if you have two cars, you're obviously going to go down to one, less food. So there's things that we can certainly account for. And a lot of times when we see that Social Security drop off, If the planning is done properly, it's not a huge hit. But yeah, if if a large part of what you were relying on for those fixed expenses is coming from Social Security and you're losing a third of it, let's say, or depending on the situation, it could even be more. uh, Yeah, that's that's a big difference. But 401k, it's still yours. Yes. It's only Social Security that that happens with. Social Security, and then depending if you do have a pension, depending on however you chose to take it. So if you are fortunate, and I do mean fortunate because there's less and less of us that have pensions, uh, you do have usually options as to whether or not you want to have a survivor benefit. So you have a single life only, 
which typically means you get the most every month during your retirement. And then if you say, I want to leave 50% to my spouse, that means that the amount you're going to receive while you're alive will be less. And it really depends on the pension. But your spouse will receive 50% of that benefit if something happens to you. Now, would you re- uh, recommend to clients which option? It really it is specific really to the individual? It depends okay. on the situation. Because if a client has a huge reliance on that income, which is often the case, then you can't mess around mm. because we just don't know. This is where we have one giant unknown factor, which is life expectancy and who's going to die first. And so it's hard for people to give up that initial what could be a few hundred dollars a month in order to secure a survivor benefit. But it's essentially the same as insurance. So we pay those insurance premiums and we don't like writing those checks. But if something was to happen, we're really, really happy that that insurance is there. But the key is to plan. You have to to plan. Right. Yeah. To really think, okay, what what does benefit? If you have if you start saving now. And you have that extra money, then maybe you can right? exactly. allocate yes. money yeah. to the survivor benefit. Okay. Yeah. And there's also plenty of people that have saved enough that they don't need to have a survivor benefit. So if they passed away, the spouse doesn't need the pension oh. necessarily, or the spouse has a pension too. There's lots of people I know that they're both teachers, so they're both going to have a pension. Maybe they don't necessarily need to have each other. So it really depends, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but a lot has to do with the planning And I think that, unfortunately, most people put more time into planning what they're going to do for the weekend than how they're going to make sure they're okay for those 25 years we just talked about. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that already is a reason why. So first of all, we live longer. The other thing is we've all heard about this. There is definitely pay inequity. So for whatever reason, and there's lots and lots of studies as to Mm -hmm. why, on average, women make about 80% of what men do. Do you see that moving in the right direction, though? Not. Or do you still see it's a struggle? It's a struggle. Okay. It's a struggle. And again, for various reasons, some of it is just cultural. So we are the caretakers. We generally do. I mean, biologically, we are the ones who have the babies. So traditional companies, the way that they're structured is there's maternity leave. And sometimes depending on how much daycare costs, we might choose to delay coming back into the workforce. Mm -hmm. And so it's not as if... If Erica and Bob interviewed for a job, it's illegal for Bob to be paid 20 cents more an hour than it is for Erica for the exact same job because that's gender discrimination. However, if I have to leave to have two or three children and I choose to extend my maternity leave to six or nine months or I did I got promotions yes, throughout yeah, the time that and you not were working and or if I decide that I don't want to take a promotion because it means I'm going to travel more and I just can't because the kids are small. There's many, many reasons why that inequity exists. And we could spend hours talking about ways that we can close the gap. And a few weeks ago, we had International Women's Day, and I had the privilege of being able to go to lots of events where I heard wonderful, wonderful ideas, especially locally, about what companies are doing in order to try and close that gap. But the reality is a lot of women are facing that. Mm. Most of our retirement plans through work are our contributions, our percentage of our salary. Simple math says if the salary is lower, the percentage that's actually being allocated towards your retirement is going to be lower. Not to mention we're having to live on a lower base. So Mm. unfortunately, 
we are not saving as much, even if Bob and I are both doing 5%, my 5% is going to be coming from a lower base than Bob's. Okay. So, poor Bob. Sorry. (laughs) Poor Bob's getting run over today. (laughs) Bob's got the bus running him over. So... So that's another big difference is, is, and that truly adds up over time. So yeah. if you think of 30 years of work and there being a significant difference in contributions every single year and compounding every single year, that does make a big difference. Okay. So we have a longer period of time that we have to cover. And then we're also, unless we make a significant effort to make up the shortfall, we are saving less just by default. Mm. The Last thing, which we were talking about before we got started, I complain about this stuff all the time, and I'm not, you know, I I want to be politically correct in how I say this, but as women, we have certain expenses that we have no choice but to endure Mm -hmm. that takes away from our ability to find extra money in our budget. And I read this great article, and they refer to it as the pink tax. Ah, yes. So- Pink tax, our haircuts are more expensive. And granted, some of these are lifestyle choices, but let's be real here. We are living in a society where if we were to cut our hair the same as men and we were to wear no makeup and we were to wear the exact same outfit every single day or at least some derivative of that, there would be the potential for some gossiping or some (laughs) backlash, if you will. And it's funny because the clothes specifically, yes, a guy could wear the same clothes and he doesn't care and he still walks into work confident. And for some reason, and I feel like somebody on this podcast, one of our guests cited an actual study that says neurologically or something in us, we just need that hot looking outfit or that sharp looking outfit to feel confident. And I don't know if it's a social thing or not, yeah. but again, I feel like somebody did a study on this, that it's just, we can't, we can't wear the same jeans and the same gray t-shirt every day. Yeah. Well, and and that's the thing is you have somebody like Mark Zuckerberg who is famous for keeping his life very simple by wearing the same exact outfit Every single day. And I'm jealous of Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, Me too. I can't do it. And even, you know, in my environment, we wear suits every day. I have no idea if my male coworkers own three suits, a gray, a black, and a blue. And I wouldn't even know if the shirts are the same underneath. (laughs) And even if they were, there would be far less scrutiny. And sometimes it's from my my fellow female colleagues that we just notice that stuff about each other. And so... Now you're looking at having to spend more money on clothing. Sure. None of this, like I said, is something that is life or death. But it is. we're being real right yeah. now. We're yeah. being real about what generally women do. And generally women have their hair cut. They have it highlighted maybe. We want to get rid of the grays. We wear makeup. It's another thing. Yes. A guy can rock the grays. Hey, I yes. tried. Yes. I'm like, honey, I'm going to go gray. Okay, I'm just going to let it go. Yes. Because now I'm at the point with my grays where my stylist, who happens to be my sister, my stylist (laughs) is like, ooh, I got to use the special hair color on you. The gray. I'm like, what? There's special color for me? Yeah. So anyhow, so I told them, okay, I'm going to go gray. Okay. We're going to do, fine, honey, go for it. Erica, I couldn't do it. I know. I looked ridiculous. It really 
messed with my head. And again, part of it may be scientific. Part of it is social. Yep. Part, whatever it is, whatever the yeah. reason. Yes. It is what it is. Well, that's the thing is that I'm sure that there are people listening that could argue that none of this is a necessity. Sure. And it isn't. And you're right. It you're isn't a necessity. Right. But we have to also deal with what is reality. So granted, not a necessity, but this right. is the reality. So wonderful if you don't want to color your hair anymore, and if you don't want to have it cut, if you don't hair. want yeah. to wear makeup, if you want to wear the same outfit every day, that's great. So then you might have a clear advantage over those of us who maybe do want to maintain a certain look into retirement. We have to make sure we account for these things. Yeah. Period. That's all there is. And this is just, hey, this is it. This is what it is. And yes. this is why we can't save as much. Exactly. Right? These are the tiny little expenses yes. that everyone refers to as the latte factor. Yes. We can also pair it to this as well. Yes. It's just little dollar amounts that keep adding up. It is. And actually, they add up a lot more than little. So think of the other female products. We're not going to get too far into things, but there are certain <laughs> female products that we all need. Um, even bras. So not really socially acceptable to go too long into life. You know, I mean, most of us, as time goes on, those are no longer optional. Yeah, Those become a necessity. So these are things that we have to buy. We don't have a choice that certainly do cut into our budgets. And the other big thing is we do have to go to an OBGYN. So our medical expenses are generally more over time than a male. Okay. has. So if we have the kids, we go through menopause, there's plenty of things that we have to go through um, that we have no choice. Yeah. We have to have mammograms. It's important for us to do all this in order to remain healthy and be able to live our lives. So medical expenses are more exp are more for women. That means more co-pays. It means potentially more prescription medications, depending on your situation. So we have to be aware that it's a, I, I would never want to trade being a woman. I, I had the wonderful blessing of having my children. And it was, I would not trade that for the world. But unfortunately, <laughs> there are some, uh, there are some things that we have to deal with as women that men don't. Yeah. And so we have to be even more vigilant about how we're going to save and what we're going to do. So one of the things that we always like to do is come up with things for the next X amount of weeks mm -hmm. to work on. And knowing that as a whole, Americans are not as prepared as they should be for retirement, and women have a much more difficult road ahead. I want to stress that no matter where you are at this point, stop and say, I can't go backwards. Can't change the past. There's a reason why the rearview mirror is much, much smaller than the windshield. Mm -hmm. Let's look ahead and say, what can I start to do now? And don't beat yourself up. No, it's okay. It's not worth it. It's, right. it's not worth it. It's as ridiculous as burying your head in the sand. But if you're listening to this podcast, then you do want to move forward. You exactly. are looking through the windshield. Exactly. So the first thing is we want to take advantage of every bit of opportunity we have at work. So your employer plans, a lot of them have matches. Mm -hmm. So if you put 2% in, a lot of times your company will match that 2%. It's free money. You're not getting it anywhere else. At the very least, you should be putting in the amount that is equal to whatever that matches. That matches. So if it's 2% up to 100%, that means that if you put 2% in, they will put 100% match in. I know it doesn't seem like a lot, but it's a start. Again, we have two options. Yeah. Do something or do nothing. 
So let's figure out what that something is for your particular life. And I assume it is the same for every company. Like here at Entercom, we have Vanguard. Mm -hmm. And it's super easy to just go on the app and notch it up a percent. Or, oh, that that paycheck did not feel good. Okay, notch it back down. It's very simple, right? So is it typically that easy with all the 401k plans or no? Typically, nowadays things have become far more sophisticated across the board. So we have a lot more access online to be able to make changes that we mm-hmm. used to have to go through HR and lots of paperwork. And it definitely, the government has even made it, there's been provisions within legislation to make it easier for people to, uh, now they have auto opt-in. So when you start working, automatically you're enrolled in your 401k. So they've done things to try and encourage people to save so that they take any additional work out of it. Yeah. So yeah, usually it's it's a matter of logging into whichever site your company is using to support it and you can increase that percentage or you can increase it by a specific dollar amount. But you can change it too. So if you say, oh my gosh, I gave 5% and that felt horrible. Yes. Okay, notch it back down. And it could yes. either be um, online, you said, or a simple phone call too. I mean, that's yeah. what those people are there for to yes. help you. So, uh, yes, I agree with you 100%, but the planner in me says, Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Don't touch it. Try not to go backwards. Now, try to be pragmatic about the start of it. So maybe if you're putting in 5%, don't put 10. Okay. Do it in small increments. Do it at 6 or 7% if you're putting in 5 and see how that feels. The tough part about going backwards, and you know how this works. Yeah, yeah, you'll never go forward You'll never go forward again. There'll always be a reason. If you have found it in your your to-do list to be listening to these podcasts every month and really being excited about trying to change your financial future, the last thing that we want to do is encourage you to go backwards because it's very easy to slip into old ways again. Well, that's true. But so, to alleviate the pressure that yes, yes, you can always change be, anything. You can change anything, yeah. but I'd rather see you do it in small steps. Going back to the diet analogy, sure. that's why when we go on these twenty-one day quick fix diet plans, it doesn't work because you're significantly altering every part of your life, your diet, your exercise. You're cutting out things that usually give people pleasure, whether it's alcohol or pizza or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's just not sustainable. So we go the total polar opposite, and then we, you know, we go crazy. As opposed to- Keep increasing it. Okay. As opposed to saying, you know what, this week, I'm just going to start increasing the vegetables that I'm eating. And just know that it's a process. It's, It's a journey. All of this is a journey. Your financial life is just as much of a journey as taking care of, of yourself physically and emotionally. Mm-hmm. So it's not as if there's an end point ever. And it shouldn't be because this is exciting. We're, we are working. And don't we want to see some fruits of our labor besides just paying bills every day? We, sure. We want to be saving for the hope that we don't have to do this every day for the rest of our life. Okay. So as much as you can try to increase those contributions, that's huge. We'll get into kind of scrutinizing your budget in a second, but I just want to make sure that everybody listening understands that when you turn 50, in the year that you turn 50, there are catch-up provisions within retirement plans. So there's additional amounts of money, depending on the type of retirement plan that you have, that you can put in because you're 50. And the government Mm -hmm. realizes that some of us start later, 
So if you have additional resources, this is where we should be funneling okay. those resources. So there's limits to what people can contribute in their different retirement plans, whether it's an IRA or a Roth or a 401k, whatever it might be. But once you turn 50, every one of these plans have catch-up provisions. So they allow you to put a significant amount, depending on the plan, in order to try and make up for lost time. So make sure that if you are maxing out your 401k right now, the year you turn 50, you can put thousands more in. And that changes every single year. So it it adjusts with inflation, but you really want to make sure that you're taking advantage of every possible employer plan. Okay. Okay. So that's number one. Number two is where do we find this money? I'm sure there's lots of women listening right now going, oh, that sounds great, Erica. Sure. I'm just going to reach into my pocket and grab out that extra cash that's falling out all the time. I know it's not easy. And we've talked about this before. Yeah. We, I think it was January that we started to say, let's get all these documents together. Let's make Mm -hmm. sure that we are looking at what we have. And maybe we've done it and we've followed some of the directions and followed some of the tips that we've given. But this is where the rubber meets the road at this point. So we're getting tax returns soon. There's going to be, uh, we're getting rid of old paperwork and it's time to move on to, Mm -hmm. you know, the new year. And this is where I really want you to start to think about current satisfaction versus delayed gratification. So unless you are 65 years old and you are walking out the door, there is time to save. And the only way you're going to find that is by scrutinizing your budget and really starting to decide whether that dinner out on Friday is more important than you potentially being able to put $50 away or $60 away towards retirement. And you know what? It stinks. Everybody wants instant gratification. I don't know a single person that can stare at a cheeseburger and say, I'll wait an hour to see if I'm still hungry for it. You know, I mean, there's been so many studies showing children with the cookies in front of them and telling them they're going to get this big treat if they wait and they just can't, you know, (laughs) we all tested our kids, didn't we? Yeah, we can't. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's, it's in our, it's in our DNA to want to have instant gratification, but this is serious. And that's what we're trying to do this year is to make sure that these women understand how serious this is. So if we are serious about trying to change the course of our future, and that that's what this is, yeah. then we have to start making some of these more difficult decisions. And now I want to ask you about a financial advisor. When we're ready to hire somebody to help us out, if we choose to, how do we decipher between the good ones and, quote, the bad ones? Yeah. So there's two criteria that I look at. I look at, or when, or you should be looking at, Number one is actual professional experience. And then the other part is more touchy-feely. So we'll, we'll touch on that okay. in a second. There is one test called the Series 7, and it is the, the, the test that allows anybody to basically be able to engage in security transactions, so to buy and sell stocks, mutual funds, bonds, et cetera. And then we have a state test too, but, but the Series 7 is the test. There are... Tens of thousands of people out there that could go from literally selling something door to door, take the test, and then hang a sign outside saying they're a financial advisor. Oh. Yes. So it's pretty simple to actually, I shouldn't say simple. I mean, it's a test. It's hard. But um, it's not as if you have to have any type of an educational background. 
You don't have to have any particular type of experience to take this test. If you are sponsored by a firm, you can take the test and then call yourself a financial advisor. And there's a lot of discussion out there about whether or not that's misleading, but that's the reality right now. There's tons of designations out there. So there's lots of people with a lot of different letters next to their name. One of the, I think, the most important things you should be looking for is somebody who is a certified financial planner. So they have the letters CFP with a little trademark next to it. That is the most significant credential that any advisor could have. You go through rigorous education prior to where you have to pass continuous exams to even qualify for the more rigorous Mm. comprehensive exam. So it's a really, really intense program leading up to it. And then the test is really, really hard. A lot of people do not pass it. Then after you become a CFP, you have to have quite a bit of continuing education and especially continuous ethics training. As a CFP, you are, and this is a big one when you're looking for a planner, you have a fiduciary responsibility to your clients. What that means is all decisions have to be made with the client's best interest first. Okay. And a few episodes ago, Jill Schlesinger, Mm -hmm. uh, CBS News analyst, was saying that same thing. Make sure it's going to feel uncomfortable and weird for you to sit across from someone and ask, If they are fiduciary. But you have to do it, right? You have to. Because what you want to make sure is that when you walk in and you meet with a planner, that that person is not in any way, shape, or form Mm. compensated or encouraged to make a decision that benefits them before it benefits you. And that's the stigma, right? Yes. So you don't want to have a situation where you are remotely questioning why someone is recommending a certain fund why someone is recommending an annuity when you hear things about, there's a lot of products out there that people talk about in a negative light. You want to make sure that you're sitting down with someone who has a financial planning base. So no decisions should be made about your finances until you know where you are, where you want to be and what you're saving for. Then Mm. you figure out what are the best tools to put in the toolkit when you're done You want to make sure that you're working with someone who is filling that toolkit with what's appropriate for you, not what's going to give them more compensation. Yes. So when it comes to compensation, Mm -hmm. and I know this is evolving too, Mm -hmm. right? We have more options as far as compensation. What should we look for? How should we be paying our So there's three main ways that advisors can be paid. There's commission-based, there's fee-based, and then there's fee-only. Commission-based is probably one of the ones that we're starting to see really go away because commission-based does mean that the advisor gets paid per transaction, so to speak. And that is not to say that every single advisor out there that is commission-based is bad. For decades, that was the only way that the system worked. Mm -hmm. The problem is that you will feel, and I joke all the time when I meet with prospective clients. I say, I don't want you to ever feel as if Erica wants to go on vacation. And that's the reason why I'm making this recommendation. Right after our phone call, it seems like you're uh, at the spa. You're unavailable for (laughs) a week. Yeah, exactly. And you see Facebook pictures of me in Hawaii. So you want to, with a commission situation, and again, I I hate to paint anything with a broad brush because there's lots of great advisors out there that are just, that's just the way things were done for years. 
But every time you're uh, looking at a commission situation, you you may just inside of you have this feeling that perhaps this wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily the right thing for me. When we talk about fee-based, fee-based is you are paying a percentage based on the assets that are managed with that particular advisor. Okay. So if you lose money, the advisor's compensation goes down. They don't get paid any more or any less. If they pick a Vanguard fund, a Fidelity fund, they have zero incentive to bring in new product lines or anything because it doesn't in other words, there's no incentive to them to change things. It's all about whether or not it's appropriate for you. So if that client is, or the, the advisor is making a recommendation for the client to make a change within the portfolio, typically in a fee-based situation, it's 100% to the client's benefit. Okay. Fee only is where we may have quite a few of our listeners where you really don't need a whole lot of really, really comprehensive planning right now because you're still working and the moving parts are kind of moving in the same direction and it's just, you're not quite there yet. Fee only means you could pop in, get a plan done. You pay actually for the plan so mm-hmm. that you have the, you know, the architectural design, so to speak, and a path forward. But then after that, you don't really need that comprehensive fee-based advice until it's time for you to start making some of those big decisions. Oh, so it's like a one-time. Or every time you pop in, you pay Yes, exactly. Fee. Yes. Now, what's on average a, a good fee amount that we should feel, okay, uh, that's comfortable because Erica said that's that's pretty much average. I believe industry standard is somewhere around a percent and a half, give or take. Um, okay. It really oh, so depends. So it's again based on your assets. Yes. It, okay. it really depends. Um, for a fee only, you might be looking at, especially if it's a very simplified plan, a few hundred dollars just to have a plan done. Oh, okay. Now what that plan is, is it's just a, here you go and, and you have a start. Um, it's, where it gets more difficult is as time goes on and you have to start making those decisions. Okay. All right. Awesome. It's the year of financial wellness. At the end of the year, we are going to be in a totally different spot with our finances and it's going to feel so good. 100%. So it's never too late. No. Start today. You have to start today. Erica, thank you so much. You're welcome. CFP, (laughs) VP at Morgan Stanley, Erica Cummings. Thank you. She is fantastic. Okay, next week on the 7 Figures Podcast, how to raise successful, confident daughters. Cindy Weiss, the founder of Breathe Yoga, and her daughters will be in enjoying the conversation. You have a great weekend, and we will talk to you next Friday. Raise a glass and say cheers to being financially confident women. If you have a personal finance question or feedback about the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to Sandy at sandy at rochesterbuzz.com. New episode every Friday. Listen, subscribe, and tell a friend about the 7 Figures podcast. Smart money strategies for women.